Welcome to another episode of the Zach Kiley Show. Today, I have the special honor of being with Haley Foss, who's a resident in urology here at Thomas Jefferson University. So Haley grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and went to undergrad at St. Olaf College, a small liberal arts school about an hour south of the Twin Cities. She went to Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and ultimately matched out in Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson University for urology residency. She graduated summa cum laude from St. Olaf and was induced into Phi Beta Kappa. In medical school, she was AOA. She studied abroad twice in undergrad and recently went on a pediatric urology medical mission trip to Amman, Jordan. That's pretty cool. So as always, we're going to start off with some statistics around urology, and then we're going to see what she thinks about. Okay, so entering residence characteristics. So step one score average of an entering USMD student, so all residencies averaged together, is 232. The step one average for urology was 249. The step two score average overall was 245, and then compared to urology was 249. The 2021 match percentage was 80% in urology compared to 92.8% overall for USMD students. International students matched at a 24% rate compared to the overall international match rate of 59%. Salary rise, the average salary of a physician is 339000 overall across all specialties. The average academic medicine associate slash full professor median salary in urology is 471000 For working hours, the average physician works 51 hours a week, uh, while the average urology attending works 58 hours a week. In regards to burnout, the burnout report says burnout percentage was 48% across the board and 49% in urology. And the main reason for urology's burnout, they said, was too many bureaucratic tasks. Any insights, first thoughts on these stats? I mean, it all sounds pretty much what I thought it would sound like. It is a more competitive field to match into in terms of what your step score needs to be, your grades in school, how many people are matching Um, I mean, most of the programs are anywhere from two to there's a few programs that have five residents in a class, but it's overall a smaller class that people are matching into, which I think kind of contributes to the competitiveness of it. Um, But yeah, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure in terms of just going based off step scores. Do you remember, was it pretty competitive when you applied? Was it like a different match rate? Were you told different numbers or... It was, I was probably told about those numbers. Yeah. My year actually ended up being a pretty good match rate. Really? I think it was in the 80s or 90s wow. my year. That's but great. it always kind of ebbs and flows a little mm-hmm. bit. So if there's one year that's a really good match rate, I think more people tend to apply, seeing yeah. that match rate. And then the next year it's lower just because more people applied. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Have you seen a like increase in popularity of urology or a decrease in popularity of urology since you've been a resident or not really? It's kind of stayed standard. I think as far as I can tell, it's stayed pretty even keel, um, but I don't know the exact numbers. Yeah. But in terms, Thomas Jefferson usually has a lot of people apply to urology, mm-hmm. so they usually have like up to eight students applying, wow. which is actually a lot for yeah. a school. Yeah. But How many spots does Thomas Jefferson have every year? Three a year. Three. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I think they get a ton of applicants. Yeah. That's crazy. I want to ask about this trip to Amman, Jordan. Yeah. That's really interesting. Did you, is this the first time you've done this? Why did you do this? What is it? Yeah, so... I have studied abroad before, but I've yeah. never done, like, a medical trip abroad. Yeah, I see. Um, so one of our pediatric urologists down at DuPont, he is from Jordan originally, so he got connected with this group called the Children of War Foundation, who are based in L.A., and they do a lot of mission trips. They kind of started out bringing children to Children's Hospital mm-hmm. of L.A., providing them care there, and then they would send the kids back to wherever they were from. Um, and then they started doing their own missions where they would send physicians places so they had this trip planned to Amman, Jordan that was actually supposed to be, I think, one or two years ago. And then with COVID, it got kind of ixnayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was connected to them through that, and they had room for a couple of residents to go. So me and one of my chiefs um, went over, and we were based in Amman. And we triaged a lot of kids. Most of the kids we were operating on were Syrian refugee children who were in the camps nearby. Um and kind of went over and just operated on as many kids as we could, and wow. it was a great experience. Wow. What is the main thing you're, you're seeing over there? So a lot of the stuff we were doing isn't necessarily, like, the big, like, life-or-death mm-hmm. surgeries. A lot of it was, like, hypospadias repairs where the, what is that? where the meatus isn't at the very tip of the penis. It's, okay. like, a little bit down the shaft. I see. Um, which can kind of affect quality of life depending on how severe it is. Um, we did some circumcisions that were for like phimosis, not just mm-hmm. cosmetic. And phimosis isn't is not a fun thing, right? That's when <laughs> kind of the foreskin is just stuck to the top. 
Yeah, just you can't retract it back. I see. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's just like really tight. It can mm-hmm. cause like recurrent infections mm-hmm. for kids or be painful. Um, and then what else did we do? We did some orcupexies where if the testicles aren't completely descended mm-hmm. down, um, we can keep them there. Some hernia repairs, um, things like that. Was there like a lot of people? Like, did you were you running out of time to do all to, to provide all these surgery? You were. Yeah. So I think they didn't necessarily anticipate our our hit rate on yeah, booking okay. surgeries. So we triaged, I think, sixty kids. Yeah. And probably could have operated on at least forty five of them. Um, we got through thirty surgeries I in see. like the five days we operated. And is it like a is it like a full OR kind of thing, or is it it's a fully kitted OR? So this one was, I think yeah. a lot of medical mission trips are a little, um, they don't have quite as many resources yeah. there. Amman is actually like a medical, like tourist hub of the Middle East. So a lot of people come from countries around the Middle East um, to get their medical care there. Wow. So they have a lot of private hospitals and there was one that gave us access to their operating rooms and we used their emergency room um, to triage kids who came in. Um, so we were... They had their anesthesia staff and their OR, like, nursing staff, and we even admitted some kids overnight for observation. So that part was really nice that we had, like, all the tools we needed. Yeah, I was going to say, post-op, do these—is there, like, a—are there beds around there? I guess Mm -hmm. there are. are. That's awesome. Yeah, honestly, the the hospital was really nice. Uh Like, parts of it were nicer than Jefferson, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that part was great, and there were some things we brought on our own, like, different, like, tiny Uh sutures and stuff. So the so so then I guess the reason they need you guys is I guess they don't have the specialists there or the people that can do the procedures. Okay. Well, they don't have a ton of pediatric urologists Got in the it. region, okay. and also we were doing this pro bono. Pro bono. Got it. Got so it. they would need people. They might have like some of the staff that can do some stuff. Yeah. Um, but they're working at like private hospitals. And yeah. They yeah, don't yeah, necessarily yeah. just like provide a bunch of free surgeries for the Syrian refugees in the region. Um. But there, a lot of the stuff, like, the other teams were doing, too, were really yeah. complex, and they probably didn't have people mm. over there who could do it. Did you like the trip? It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And you were there for how long? A week? Two weeks? About, I think it was eight or nine days. Eight or nine days. Okay. That's awesome. And what was, did you get time to explore the area? You did? Okay. Yeah, we did a little bit, which was great. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful country. Yeah. Um, we did one hike. It was called Wadi Mujib. Uh-huh. And it was, like, this canyon where you're, like, basically hiking in, like, this little creek river. So mm-hmm. part of it, like, the water's just up to your ankles. And other times you're, like, completely swimming, huh. like, through this big cavern. And there's waterfalls. And, That's awesome. And then we went to um, Petra as well, which is in wow. the southern, like, deserts of uh-huh. Jordan, which is actually where they filmed one of the Indiana Jones movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to check it out. I might go to Petra then. Yeah, no, highly recommend I if you get a chance. I won't be able to provide uh, some pediatric surgery help, but I will check out. <laughs> so... Why did you pick, why did you go into urology? So it's actually interesting. I, in, so there's nobody in medicine in my family. So I didn't have like going in, I wasn't like, oh, my dad's a surgeon. I want to be a surgeon, uh which I think is a lot of people. It happens for a lot of people, or like you see people in medicine, you kind of get a a sense of what you might like. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking going in that I would maybe want to do medical oncology, but I was like pretty open to everything. Um, I thought I would like surgery, but that I wouldn't want to do it as a career. So when we were picking the order of our third year rotations, I purposely put surgery first because I thought it was going to be like one of the harder hours and I would just get out of the way. And everybody said to not do the specialty you want to go into first because you don't look as good when you Mm -hmm. like don't know what you're doing yet. I remember that, yeah. So I did surgery first and then I was like, oh man, I like really like being in the operating room. Like this is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I loved surgery. And one of the interns on my colorectal surgery rotation was actually a urology intern because we do six months of general Mm -hmm. surgery our first year. Um, When I was talking to him, he was like, hey, if you like surgery, at least go look into urology and like see what it's like before you make your final decision. And the way I had organized my schedule, I didn't really have room to put an elective like early enough in my year for it to make sense with the urology match. Mm Um, but we had at Medical College of Wisconsin, it was nice. We had a lot of Thursday afternoons off during our clinicals for just like your own personal time. There was random Thursdays we would have to do some stuff. Um, but I used a lot of those Thursday afternoons to go shadow. So I would go like into the clinic or into the OR with different urologists and just really liked the variety in it. Um, truthfully at the beginning when he said, look into urology, I was like, do women even do urology? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a thing. <laughs> it's going to be weird. Like, people don't want to see a female. Uh-huh. 
Um, but there were a few like female attendings there and I got the sense that it was like not a big deal yeah. at all, which it totally is not. There's more and more women going into it. I think that's the same initial thought some people think with like OBGYN, right? Yeah. They think like, oh guys, there's not going to be that many guys in there. But mm-hmm. I think the numbers are, they're coming closer to the middle on both, in both respects. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The overall, like if you look into the workforce right now with attendings, I think it's only 9% female. Mm. It's around that okay. number. Um, but it's increasing. And yeah. I would say there's some residencies that are 50-50. Wow. We have four women out of 15, so decent numbers. More than 9%. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So do you think if you didn't have that initial experience with that urology intern, you would have ever discovered urology? It would have had to be like happenstance. Yeah. Because truly, I didn't even really know that urology was like a surgical field. Yeah. I thought it was going to be really narrow where they don't have a lot of variety in their practice just because I thought it was so specialized. Um, but then when I started shadowing, I realized like how many different things they do. There's a lot of clinic procedures. There's a lot of just like medical care. They follow a lot of patients who they never operate on and you're following them their whole life for their urologic care. Um, so there's that aspect to it. There's a lot of like endourology procedures where it's same day mm-hmm. surgeries. There's big robotic procedures. There's big open procedures if you really want to get into all that stuff. Um, so you can really tailor your practice to to what you want it to be. Was there like a moment when you were doing the shadowing or where you're like, I know it, this is urology for sure, gung-ho all the way. I'm going to do <laughs> research. Fourth year, I'm going to load up with my sub-eye urology. Or was it kind of like a slow burn? Or how did you know? Because it's tough to go into surgery and say, oh, y'all try urology, but then be like, oh, I'm definitely doing urology, right? No, it is hard. And I think there's, I don't know that there's necessarily like, this is the only thing for me. I don't know that that is ever like completely true for someone. Um, I think I could have been happy in multiple things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew I liked surgery. And then when I got to urology, I really loved the people. Mm -hmm. A lot of of the urologists I've worked with are really down to earth. Just like the subject matter you're dealing with every day. You're talking to people about really private aspects of their life Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And so a lot of the people are just really down to earth and easy to talk to. and I liked the variety of their procedures. We have a lot of fun toys in neurology, yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of lasers, mm-hmm. new new stuff coming out all the time. Um, so I I liked it as much or more as other surgical fields and liked that I would be kind of subspecialized from the get-go mm-hmm. as opposed to general surgery where you do general surgery and you almost have to do a fellowship yeah. to subspecialize after that. Um, so kind of a combination of all of that. I was like, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, But you did you know right away... Because I think the first thing we're told as medical students in our second or third year is decide, like, medical or surgery, right? Medicine or surgery kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Did you know for sure? Like, right away? You didn't know. Okay. No, I think that's kind of a crazy thing that people say. Yeah. For some people, I think it's totally true. Um, But there's also, like, medical fields where you're doing a ton of procedures. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you necessarily have to know, like, surgery or medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think I went into it, like, looking for that. Like, oh, I thought I was going to be like a medicine person per Mm -hmm. se. Like I was thinking medical oncology or maybe GI and thinking like, oh, everybody says like you, you either know right away that you want to do surgery or medicine. And I was like, wait, but I like both of them. Yeah. Um, So I don't think you necessarily have to go one way or another. And I think it's okay to like both. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And a lot of people say too, like if you think you would be happy in anything other than surgery, do that. Yeah. They say that a lot. And I don't think that's true either because um, I think I could be happy in some of the medical fields. Like I loved Hemonc was also really interesting to me. And like, again, something like GI or interventional cardiology, mm-hmm. you can do procedures and other things. Um, but I'm also really happy in surgery. How much on the scale of like medicine to being in the OR do you think urology is? Do you, like, for, like I think of, for example, a cardiothoracic surgeon mm-hmm. or something like that, and I think it's skewed like way you're in the OR all the time. But then you, of course, have clinic days and stuff like that. Is it the same as most other surgical specialties where you have clinic and so, or is it more, cl- you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a little skewed of how people think of it. I think people assume if you're in surgery, you're like always operating. Yeah, I thought that. Um, and it is a lot of clinic and... In residency, like our fourth and fifth year are purely operative here Mm -hmm. at Jefferson. So like I will be in the OR every day that I'm at work um, for these two years. Um, But in practice, that's not the reality. Um, So I would say most of our attendings probably are in the clinic three days and in the OR two approximately. Sometimes it switches where they might have a week they're in the OR three days and clinic two days. 
Um, but usually one of the clinic days is procedures as well, where you're doing um, cystoscopies to evaluate like blood in the urine or pull a stent that was placed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do like vasectomies in clinic, prostate biopsies. Mm-hmm. So usually I would say it's like two days of clinic, one clinic day of procedures and two days of OR is probably the average. Got it. Got it. And then the first year of residency, at least here, you do six months of general, like surgery. Mm-hmm. And then you go, after six months, you go into urology? It's kind of however the schedule Got works it. out. Okay. Like I actually started on urology mm. um, because they'll usually have one intern on urology mm-hmm. and the other two here are on their gen surge rotations. I see. Okay. Okay. And then the second year, what's the second year like? The second year here, um, you rotate at Jefferson for four months, at Methodist for four months, and which is like a smaller community mm-hmm. hospital in South Philly. And we also rotate down at Nemours in Wilmington, Delaware as our pediatric hospital. And you're doing like procedures there or procedures yeah. clinic? or I would say it's mostly OR as a two. And you're kind of just starting to learn a lot of the endoscopic mm-hmm. skills, how to cysto, how to treat stones, mm-hmm. um, bladder tumors, that kind of stuff. Um, you do have some clinic when you're at Jefferson uh, with Dr. Huboski, who's one of our stone experts. He's one of our really, really advanced endourologists mm-hmm. who's phenomenal to work with. Um, and then in, at DuPont, or I guess it's called Nemours now, mm-hmm. um, they, we do clinic in and Got OR it. there. Got it. So, so first year is like you're kind of doing some general surgery, a little bit of urology. Second and third year, you're doing mostly OR with the occasional clinic? Third years are most clinic. Third years are most clinic. Yep. Okay. So we're at Jefferson the entire year, and we have like three different services that kind of mesh together when you're in the hospital, but for the purposes of like kind of splitting up attendings and who mm-hmm. their point person is, we split them up. So our A service is three attendings who do mainly oncology. Mm-hmm. B service is a lot of endourology and some robotic stuff, like minimally invasive. Um, and C service is our like reconstructive um, kind of men's health kind of stuff, female pelvic reconstructive surgery. Um, so you do the third years are kind of with the attendings of their respective mm-hmm. services and they are either in clinic or the OR. So some services you're in the clinic three days a week and other ones on like two. Got it. Got it. How's the workload like as a urology resident? It's a lot. I mean, it's yeah. a surgical residency for yeah. sure. I think people think about urology as you're going to have like an easier life than a general surgeon Mm -hmm. and like it'll be a lot more chill and that might be true in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, But in residency, it's still a surgical residency. So you have the same hours, you have a big workload. Um, At Jefferson, we're lucky to get a lot of autonomy, um, but that also translates into maybe a little more work outside of the Mm -hmm. hospital as like a tit for tat kind of thing. (laughs) What are the hours like? Um, It depends on the year. Okay. So... Let's see. I would say third year is one of our busiest years as a service resident. Um, So usually we are going through the list in the morning with everyone around 6.30 most days. Some days it's like 6 or 5.45 if we have conference and stuff. Um, But you have to round on whoever you're expected to round on before that. So however much time it takes you, depending on how big the list is. Uh I would say I usually got in around 5.30 and probably left the hospital 6.30 to 7-ish. Most days, unless the OR went long yeah. for some reason. Um, but just because you leave the hospital doesn't mean you're done working. <laughs> you're, you're writing notes and stuff like that when you get home? or Yeah, not so much notes necessarily. Um, third year, we pre-op a lot of patients. So mm. you're responsible for making sure that patients have, if they had a urine culture collected, you make sure it's treated before they go to the operating room, make sure they have cardiac clearance. Um, and you're kind of just like double checking everything. So there's multiple sets of eyes, making sure that patient's safe for surgery and ready to go. And they don't need any further workup before they're going under anesthesia. So first case is like 7 a.m. kind of thing? or First case starts at 7.30. Got it. Um, and then on Thursdays, we start at 8.30 because we have conference in the morning. And then weekends. Do you have, do you have a lot of golden weekends? Is it like one gold, one black, and then two? I forget the other color. That's the yeah. We... Ours is a little more simple than that, okay. I think. Um, we have night flow, which is really nice. I see. Okay. So, so Sunday night through Friday night, there's a junior in-house overnight. Got it. And they are just working night shift. They go home during the day, sleep, mm-hmm. come back for a night. And there's a chief on backup call. Got it. So the juniors in-house is the main like contact person. They'll see the consults. They'll do anything that comes in. And if they need help with something where they, like, can't scope a catheter in on the floor 
or if somebody needs to go to the operating room or someone's getting like admitted or discharged, they'll call the chief. Um, but otherwise they take care of everything in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chief only has to come in if it's something, um, bigger that they have to help with. Um, on the weekends, there's a junior in house as well. So we do like kind of power weekends where you start Saturday morning and you are on until Sunday at 6 PM. Um, so it's home call. You can go home. It tends to be pretty busy on the weekends, yeah. but again, there's a chief on backup call. So your juniors in house, either a two or a three and they, the chief comes into like round in the morning, kind of see all the patients, make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And then if anything has to go to the OR, they come in yeah. and different things. What are the big, I just out of curiosity, what is the most common like emergencies you yeah. see in urology? I would say the most common one is like a septic stone. Okay. Meaning, wow. Or any sort of like urinary tract infection and the kidneys aren't draining well. Mm. So if you, because they can get sick really fast. Uh-huh. So if you have a urinary tract infection uh-huh. and a stone that's obstructing, that urine can't drain down to the mm-hmm. bladder and you get something called pilovenous backflow where all that urine with the bacteria kind of gets pushed back into the venous system and wow. you become bacteremic and sick like very quickly. Wow. <laughs> so those are the people we take to the OR like immediately. Uh-huh. Even if they might be stable, a lot of times we act pretty quickly to stent them because they can go downhill quick. Get really sick really Especially quick. if they don't have reserve. Got it. Wow. Um, even if it, I guess even no matter, because it's like one ureter as opposed to the other ureter, it doesn't matter that the other kid, it's just in the blood, you're getting bacteria, so yeah. it's bad news bears, yeah. So we always say if someone's obstructed, the reasons to stent someone yeah. is uh, any obstruction with a UTI, mm-hmm. unilateral obstruction in an, a solitary kidney, where mm-hmm. that's like your only kidney oh, that's kidney. making urine, or bilateral obstruction. Wow. Sometimes their creatinine is like through the roof, yeah. like bilateral obstruction. They might not be infected, yeah. so they're not like having fevers, uh-huh. but if their kidney creatinine is going up, Got it. then you... So let's fast forward a year and a bit. And say you're starting as an attending, um, and say I let you practice as an attending for three years. Okay. After that three years, I give you $100 million. Oh. And I say, hey, you're welcome. And I say, hey, <laughs> you, now you have the option. I'm going to say, you ha- I've given you $100 million. You can either continue working full-time as an attending. You can work part-time as an attending. You can switch careers, or you can go live on a beach. What do you think you would do? It's wow. hard because it's five years in the future-ish. Yeah, I feel him. Be too young to just like quit everything yeah. altogether. I think I'd go crazy. Yeah, but I, I might work part time at least part-time. for a while. There we go. Finally, that's great. <laughs> Does everybody say they would just keep working? Every, well, most people are like, I work full time. It's my passion forever. Well, some people are like, uh, for example, the the doctor Lawless the, was he was saying, you know, I maybe spend some more time with my kid, but he never said that. So, like, so thank <laughs> he you. never like, truly said. Part-time. I think I would too. I yeah. think I would work part time, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So thank you. Yeah, I do think it would be tricky at the beginning because you would have to have like a smaller patient census and then it's it's difficult for patients to follow up with you if you're only part-time because you're like only there certain Uh days you can't be like a moonlighting your consultant urologist right or anything like that i think you technically can Uh but it's not common it's not common because that way you don't i mean you don't really need patient continuity right you just go to the hospital occasionally when they need you and stuff like that via urologic hospitalist yeah yeah Yeah. that could be cool (laughs) That could be, I don't, we could create that. We could create that specialty. Yeah. That's awesome. So what is the best thing about being a urologist? The best thing about being a urologist? I think the people are one of the best yeah. things. Okay. I love everybody that I work with. And it seems like kind of across the board, like on the interview trail, different programs I either rotated at or interviewed at. Just the people are great. Um, so they're fun to work with. I think there's a lot of ingenuity in urology. We're advancing the field really quickly. Even from like when I started as an intern, there's a lot of like new, um, new tools and things that we use. Like we're using the single port robot for some stuff now instead of a multi-port robot. What does that mean? You only need to put one kind of. So wow. so our classic multi-port robotic surgeries, yeah. you usually have five or yeah. six ports in. Um, the single port. It's a little bigger incision, but we usually make one of the incisions bigger at the end to take out whatever we were taking Uh out anyway, either a kidney, prostate, bladder, whatever. Um, So it's a single port, and all of the arms go through that port. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it's interesting. I don't know how much utility it's going to have. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have worse. I mean, I I know very little about this, but I'm think I'm just thinking generally for if you have five ports, right? Mm -hmm. For example, you can get things at a different angle, but if you're just coming 
right here and it's something's behind something, you know what I mean? I guess. Yeah, it's hard because all of your arms are in view. Yeah. When we use the multi-port, like one arm can be out of view, kind of retracting something yeah. for us. So it's taking some getting used to. I yeah. haven't personally operated on it and yet, it still but goes I've seen through it. the same, like the, the, you're in the same kind of hood and stuff like that, the same user interface. Yes, the, the, oh man, what are they called? The Da Vinci thing? Yeah, like the console that you're yeah. sitting at uh -huh. is all the same. But the, the robot same. itself is different. Um, so that's something newer that we're like starting to mm -hmm. look at. Um, we use a lot of like disposable ureteroscopes now that have like digital cameras that have a beautiful picture compared wow. to our reusable scopes. Um, we just started trying out this like vacuum device where when we go up into the kidney, you laser stones and then you have to pluck out all the pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes the pieces are just like dust and it's hard to like actually grasp mm -hmm. them. And for most people that'll all wash out normally, um, for some like spinal cord injury patients or patients who are bed bound, it doesn't wash out as easily. I see. Um, and for years we've all said like, we just need like a vacuum to just like suck out the kidney and they finally have something. That's, yeah. That'd be a good invent. I feel like that's a great mist. I don't know. I feel like it's cool to know about these little things because if I was a urologist, I'd be like, I want to jump on the next thing. Yeah. The problem is if you invent it, if you invent it at Jefferson, under Jefferson, they get everything, right? So you have to... Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works. This is me thinking selfishly and wanting to make tons and tons of money. Because I'm trying to think. Because I know there was an anesthesiologist at Jefferson who invented a better spirometer during surgery or oh. something like that. And he, he, he did very, very well. <laughs> very, very well. This is completely off the point. Okay. The counter question to what is the best thing about being a urologist is what is the worst thing about being a urologist? Oh, man. I think one of them is that most people have no idea what urologists do. Yeah. Um, I think even other physicians don't know. I don't think we learn a lot about uh -huh. it in medical school. Um, so I think it's fair that people don't know, yeah. but it can be annoying to get like consults for things that are not necessarily a urologic problem um, or just like family and other people like really don't know what you do for yeah. a living. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they kind of think you're just the penis doctor. <laughs> do you want to tell us? Do you want to give us what is a urologist? Tell us. Well, oh man, that's a hard question. I know, I know, I know. Um, I think people just don't know the scope of it. A lot yeah. of people don't know that it's a surgical field, yeah. so they don't know that we operate. Uh -huh. um, we're dealing a lot with oncologic problems, kidney cancer, prostate, bladder, testicular cancer. Um, we do pelvic organ prolapse for females. Mm -hmm. We do pediatric urology, so a lot of congenital problems. Um, people with spinal cord injuries, MS, Parkinson's, have a lot of issues with function of their bladder yeah. from all of the neurologic connections being... Um, damaged or not working for some reason um we do men's health erectile dysfunction mm -hmm. there's a whole scope of wow. things that we do i didn't know you guys do with electrolytes that's interesting mm -hmm. i guess especially if they did procedures or something like that you'd need to to step in that's, that's... for what if it's for example if there is it is it just like if someone comes up and they say i have erectile dysfunction they, they'd come talk to you or is this a, is it a second point after you know what I mean, like yeah. the primary care physician be like, you have to go see a urologist because I think because I because I get confused because there's like we're definitely going down a little rabbit hole here, <laughs> but there's such like sexual health doctors right and stuff like that and I don't know it's just I would say urology kind of takes the forefront in a lot Got of it. that at least okay. for men's health yeah. Um, so, like, primary care physicians will prescribe, yeah. like, Viagra and different yeah. medical therapies. But if that's not working, then, take the next step. then they usually come see us. Or some people will just come see us at the Got beginning. It. A lot of times, too, our procedures can cause erectile dysfunction. So, if we I take see. out someone's prostate. That's what I was thinking. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's medical therapy. Yeah. You can do injection therapy into yeah, the corpora okay. to cause erections. That works a lot for spinal cord wow. injury patients. Um, and then there's also implants like penile prosthesis mm -hmm. that we, mm -hmm. we do surgery for. So as an incoming internal medicine resident, uh -huh. can you tell me what's a good consult and what's <laughs> a bad consult? Oh man. Well, I think, I think it's never necessarily bad to call and ask if you don't know. Got it. Okay. Um, there are a lot of things that we can just kind of curbside yeah. and tell people about. Yeah. Um, which is totally fine. If you yeah. don't know something, I don't think it's bad to call someone yeah. else to like ask a question. Um, there's a lot of Foley problems that we get called about mm -hmm. that are not necessarily a hard Foley. Like you can't put the Foley in? Kind yeah, of like nursing yeah. tried to straight cath that didn't work, yeah. so it ha we have to put it in now. I think that every physician can put in yeah. a catheter. Uh -huh. um, that being said, I realize that like 
someone who's been like a hospitalist for 10 years has probably not put in a catheter in like mm-hmm. five years. So like, should we expect them to do it? Probably not. Yeah. Um, but I think learning how to use a coude catheter is a something. Coude, what is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's like a, it looks like a catheter, except yeah. there's like a tiny like bend at the tip. Okay. So it helps get past a big prostate. I see. And truthfully, they are like so much easier to place than a lot of catheters. Coude if catheter. it's for someone who's like an older guy yeah, with, a, with big a big prostate, prostate and that's the reason you're having difficulty. Uh-huh. And nursing can place them. There's a lot of nurses that do. But then there's others that, like, hear a word that they don't know, and they're like, I don't know how to do that. I'm not doing it. What's the difference? The only difference in training, I guess you just, when you first go in, it's at more of an angle? Yeah. That's it? You just have to make sure the angle's up. Yeah. And if it's not, it doesn't hurt anything. It just doesn't go. It just doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't do its form, its its purpose. What is the the most common myth, you think, so from the lay public about what a urologist does or is, is? I think most people think it's not surgical. Uh-huh. I think a lot of people know that it's like prostate related. Yeah. So it'll be like, oh, when men have to get their prostate checked, they go to a urologist. And I think it kind of ends at that. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a lot of women who have stress incontinence mm-hmm. that maybe don't realize that they can go see a urologist and there are mm-hmm. therapies we can do for that or like overactive bladder we see. Yeah. Um, so I think people maybe don't realize the extent of what we can help with. Yeah, no, that 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 definitely makes sense. So the next question I have is, and again, these are tough questions. You might not have the answer. It's, I know it's, I, it's putting you on the spot here. Do you have any memorable experiences with like patients or even with other residents or, or just procedures in general? Anything that pops out to you that says, you know, this urology thing's pretty cool or this patient experience was pretty cool. Like I wouldn't go in. I know you came in with a very open yeah. mind, but maybe this was, you know, not necessarily going the down ways, but saying like, oh, this is actually really, really cool. I think not necessarily like one specific patient, but just in general, I think a lot of the stuff we do is quality of life based, which is really nice. Our patients tend to be very appreciative. Uh So like if you come in with a ton of pain from a kidney stone, they can be like very painful. And we admit you put in a stent bypass so your urine's draining okay, your your pain is gone immediately. So people are so appreciative with that. And I think a lot of people like, People take for granted just like being able to pee normally. And so if we can help someone who is having issues start mm-hmm. peeing normally or divert their urine a different way, it just really improves their quality of life, which is yeah. a really great aspect of it. And a lot of the cancers we deal with too, some of them are bad, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of them have really great um, survival rates. Like prostate cancer, even if you're diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer, you can live for 10 years with the therapies we have. Um, so I think it's a little different than something like pancreatic cancer where you know off the bat that their like um, their lifespan is probably not going to be great regardless of what you do. Mm-hmm. I think we can really help people if we detect things early and intervene right away with like bladder cancer, prostate, um, kidney cancer. A lot of times we just do a partial nephrectomy and we keep doing scans every year to follow them, but mm-hmm. that's curative for a lot of people. Are there any screening procedures that is should be done on kind of most people by your out. You know what I mean? Um, I'm just trying to think. So most of the screening usually starts with their PCP. So PSA okay. tests for PSA. men. Uh-huh. Usually I think it's when they're 50 or 55 is the recommendation right now, a little earlier if you have a family history. Um, and if the PSA is elevated, they would come see us to see if they need any further imaging or a biopsy. Um, if you have microscopic hematuria on like a urinalysis, mm-hmm. then you would come, if you have it like multiple times, and you have like a smoking history mm-hmm. or anything, usually they would come see a urologist. We would take a look in their bladder to see if there's anything going on and get some imaging. Um, but yeah, usually a lot of the the screening stuff is done by a primary care physician and we get referred or in the ED or something. So if I'm a third-year medical student and I'm not, I hear about urology, but I, I, like you, I didn't have any experience in it and stuff like that, but I think I might be interested in it. How could I go about learning more about urology and maybe getting some practice possibly in it? Yeah, so I think reaching out to, honestly, any of the residents or a lot of the faculty um, to say, like, hey, can I just come shadow one day, see someone in clinic, see someone Mm -hmm. in the OR, kind of see the differences. Um, If you're really gung-ho about it, there's some great lecture series online. So during COVID, um, University of California, San Francisco Mm -hmm. did a whole, like, COVID lecture series Um, that were all online and they're archived. And it's basically like a bunch of like big topics in urology from a lot of the leaders in the field that would just do like a Zoom lecture. And that's all out there for free for anybody who wants to watch to see like if you if there's one topic that 
piques your interest, then you can watch a lecture on it from someone who's like one of the major leading people in the field. Yeah. So now the other side. So you're at the beginning. Now the other side. So like beginning of fourth year, maybe when you're a week away from <laughs> submitting your applications and you're not sure. You think, I like urology, but maybe I also like general surgery or I like maybe even medicine or something mm -hmm. like that. Is there anything you would tell to these students how to kind of finalize your decision and figure out for sure, even though nothing in this life is for sure, right? But for now, to make the decision mm -hmm. of urology or not. Hmm. I mean, I think you have to be okay with working in a surgical field yeah. where you're, I mean, anything in medicine, your hours are going to be a little up in the air. Like if you're inpatient for medicine, you, you might not get out at the same time every day mm -hmm. too. Um, but I think it's a little more up in the air for surgery. Like you might be there till midnight operating if the case is taking longer than expected. Um, we have add-on cases all the time that we try to call for at different times. And sometimes we don't have OR staff till 9 p.m. So that's when we call for the case if it's something that needs to go overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, the hours are long during residency, but you can really tailor your practice after. So I think if you want to be in like a procedural field, then urology is great. Mm -hmm. um, That's good. Make sure you want to do procedures, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that, and I that mean, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like my fourth and fifth year, I'm only in the OR. Yeah, and so, you're looking forward to that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, good, good, good. Um, so you have to be okay with that too. There's also other people who are in urology who already know they don't want to do the big, huge procedures mm -hmm. where people are getting admitted for five days after and the complication rate is higher because mm -hmm. it's a major surgery. They know they want to do more like general urology, be in the clinic a lot, do some um, more like general urologic procedures and that's totally, that's going to be their practice mm -hmm. and they'll do amazing, but you, you have to do the bigger stuff in residency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, urology is a competitive field. Mm -hmm. How... Did you attack maybe specifically your application or what are your suggestions to people that are interested in mountain urology to making themselves more competitive? You, and this could span anywhere. This could span, you know, when you first go into medical school, say for some reason, some reason you know I want to do <laughs> urology. How can students make themselves more competitive? Because it is a harder match for sure uh, than some of the other specialties when they're applying for, for residency. Yeah, I think it's changing a little bit because I think step one was a big kind of weed out uh -huh. score for a lot of programs. Um, and now that step one has changed to pass fail. Unfortunately, I feel like it's going to make step two a bigger deal. Yeah. Um, and your grades on your clinical rotations, yeah. I think have always been a big thing. Yeah. Um, so I think keep an open mind going into third year and try hard on all your rotations. They don't want to see that you just did well on your surgical rotations mm -hmm. and that you blew off psych and medicine and all these other things. Like they want to see that someone's going to work hard in anything they go into. Um, having good relationships with people always helps mm -hmm. for any field. Um, once I decided that I liked urology, I jumped on a bunch of research projects and kind of reached out to different residents and you work hard and then try to get stuff at least going before your applications do. Um, I don't think it has to be in urology, but it helps. But if you have research in anything and you can prove that you can take a project from like conception of the idea to publication, I think that's all they're really looking mm -hmm. for is someone who's going to work hard and follow through on something. Mm -hmm. So again, it helps if it's in urology because it's something to talk about during an interview, yeah. but I don't think it needs to be. Got it, got it. And then anything else that you're passionate about is always helpful yeah. like if you do like study abroad trips or you like were in engineering and mm -hmm. a bunch of cool stuff with that mm -hmm. especially in urology there's a huge aspect of mm -hmm. medical device stuff so and honestly anything else you're passionate about yeah. if you can like prove that you've spent a lot of time on something and have something to show for it and can talk about it like volunteering and stuff mm -hmm. like that Volunt okay yeah for Got sure it. Because I remember when I was just applying to med school, it was like, you know, you got to get your volunteering research and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but take all the boxes. It doesn't need to be urology. That's an interesting statement. It's just showing that you're kind of passionate about research and you can take a project uh, from beginning to end. Yeah, because I think a lot of people know that a lot of people don't encounter urology until yeah. later in medical school unless you have like a parent or someone you know who's a mm -hmm. urologist or you happen upon it earlier. Um I think it's not uncommon for people to discover it in their third year. So to Got expect it. everybody to be like, oh, I've been working on my urology application yeah. for the past 10 years is uh -huh. insane. It's <laughs> no, it's great. And maybe that would be a, a down thing as opposed yeah, to, right. who knows, who knows. 
So you're a th- so your fourth year. I keep saying you're a third year. I That's okay. Because I don't just comes to my head. Uh, but you're a fourth year now, like me. That's how I can remember it. Like, there you go. Yeah. Um, have you ever been burnt out or felt burnt out or felt like things were so hard that you want to quit? I haven't been to the point where I like want to quit because yeah. I can I can always kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like okay. I know this is a temporary yeah. thing, but I've definitely like been very fatigued and tired at different points of residency. Yeah. Intern year, there's a lot of long hours where you're you're on the floor a lot. You're not in the OR. You see all the other people doing all the cool stuff, and you're kind of running around doing the scut work, which is just the nature of anything, really. In every residency, you're going to do that as an intern. Um, but it's a steep learning curve. So you're putting in a lot of long hours. You're getting a lot of things wrong. You're there for a long time. So it takes a lot. Um, I think for any field, you have to be someone who takes constructive criticism well. Um because it'll only help you. Mm-hmm. Even if someone comes off as you think someone's being mean, just take what they're saying and change what they want you to change. Yeah. Um, and just move forward from that. Because that's truthfully all anybody's asking you to do. Yeah. Some people just aren't as <laughs> kind of a same <laughs> mm-hmm. thing sometimes. I've seen some things. I feel like it's better than back in the, de- back in the day. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I've seen these things. Did you use any strategies? You said you're looking, you would look towards, you knew, this. you saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Did you do things like, I don't know, did you go to yoga classes or take weekends away? Or was there something for you that you found that worked when you were feeling kind of down or kind of like there was a lot going on? Yeah, I think you have to try to keep some semblance of a life outside of work. There are like weeks where it's just like not possible. Yeah. But then when you do have time, like, take time to hang out with friends. Like, I was friends with a lot of the general surgery residents and the other urology residents who are going through the same thing as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of pick their brain about what they're doing and um, talk about what you're all going through together, which helps. Um, so take time to, like, see your friends outside of medicine, too. Like, mm-hmm. I have some friends up in Brooklyn who are not in medicine, so it was always a nice, like, weekend getaway if I could go hang out with them and kind of just, yeah. like, escape the medical world for a while. Um, if you can find time to exercise, that's, I always feel a lot better when I, I can at least do something. It doesn't need to be insane. Like just go for like a 20 minute run or something and kind of clear your head. It helps. That's great. And then we're going to step out more generally now, not necessarily urology, but thinking about lifestyle, thinking about having a successful long-term career. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this doesn't necessarily need to be in wellness. It could be in finance in the actual field you're going into or anything do you have any kind of advice or things you've been thinking about because you're kind of at the beginning right because you're being attending in a year yeah um going forward Mm. in terms of what it could be anything it could be like finance it could be uh lifestyle it could be what did someone someone for example the 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 dr lalisty was mentioning you know I wish maybe necessarily I didn't wait so long to start a family mm. and stuff like that because he feels like he's getting a little bit older now gotcha. and he feels like maybe I want to be around for my kids as long as possible and and I'm a little bit older they're a bit a little bit younger and so on and stuff like that but yeah. it could be any uh what was another uh another Dr. Okasani who's a cardiothoracic surgeon mm-hmm. said in his training what he would do every single day is he'd have a little notebook and he'd have a little notebook that when he would go through a procedure or something like that, he'd write down the steps of the procedure. And then he'd also write down, uh, he's, he seems in, like insanely focused. He's a, he's a really... He's sp- wonderful. He's, he gave he's us a, a lecture one yeah. morning. And- I love, I, he seems awesome. But he says, you know, he'd also write down the attending preferences. And then he'd also, when he went home at night, he'd read for at least an hour or two every single night on whatever was going on. And I was like, you are really setting the bar up. Yeah, really, that's a really lot. High. That's a lot. I will say, especially in a surgical field and probably yeah. anything, you're, the attending you're working with is going to give you a longer leash if you mm-hmm. know what they like. I see. So if you're, we have multiple surgeons who do robotic prostatectomies and there are certain steps that each of them do a little differently. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing the steps that they like to do as you're going, they let you keep going because you know what they do. You know what their steps are and what they're doing next. So they trust you to keep going the way that they would want it to happen. So I do think that's an important part of kind of like knowing who you're working with. Um, And after you graduate, you can do it however you want. Like Mm -hmm. you can set up your own way of doing things. Um, But it's good to know like who you're working with, how they like things done and kind of cater to that because they're going to give you a lot more autonomy if you show that you've been paying attention when you're working with them. So pay attention to what the attending specific preferences and steps are. That makes sense. Yeah. And not to say that you can never like question something that's happening, but if they have like a very specific way of doing a procedure, 
if you try to change it up, they're probably just going to take it away from you. (laughs) Give me the reins. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's definitely important. Um, In terms of after residency, a lot of people do fellowships versus just going into Mm -hmm. practice or there's academics and private practice. So it's all stuff that I'm still trying to figure out right now. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any leanings on on any way? Yeah. My plan is to apply for a robotics fellowship. Okay. So there's like the Endourology Society where they have, there's kind of a mix of fellowships within that. Some of them are very robotics focused. Some of them are endo focused, like stone treatment, upper tract disease. Mm -hmm. Um, And some are like a mix of both. So I'll probably apply to that with the goal of something that's a little more robotics focused. And then I don't know if I'll end up doing academics Mm -hmm. or private. (laughs) Now we're going to step back even further. If you could speak to 18-year-old Haley going into the field of medicine undergrad, for going into her first higher education, would you give her any advice? Would you tell her anything before she ventures down this, this long, honestly long road? I think just go into everything with an open mind. I think... Every year you feel like you have, like, no time and it's the hardest year yet and you're getting crushed. And then the next year you're like, oh, I actually had a lot of time last year. Mm-hmm. So just, like, take advantage of the time that you have um, and use your time wisely. And, and don't forget to that there's more to life than yeah. just medicine. <laughs> there's other things to do other than just be medicine. Easier said than done. <laughs> have you seen—so, um, two-part question. Are there attendings that you have seen make mistakes and they're not not necessarily procedural mistakes. I mean, like, career mistakes. Like, for example, lifestyle decisions. Or um, it could be mistakes in the in the OR, but say maybe it was a not a technical mistake. I mean, like, an attitude thing or something mistake that you want to make sure you lean away from. Hmm. Um, I think there's definitely people who have, are a little more impatient. I see. In the operating room. And I don't think that it necessarily helps situations. So I definitely want to strive to be someone who doesn't have like an immediate like Mm -hmm. reaction. Like I think you have time to like step back and think about things. Even when things are tense in the operating room, I think you can handle it. Well, even if something's like serious, I think there's a way you can talk to people that's more helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely... That's going to be part of my goal got as an attendant to not like snap at OR people. Person. Yeah, that's great. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, who knows? Maybe as soon as you get the, the cloak yeah. of an attending, things happen, and you're just you know throwing things. No, no, I wouldn't think. Anyone yeah, because I think the better relationship you have with people yeah. of any level, like yeah. the nurses, the custodians in the hospital, anybody can help you mm-hmm. if you are on good terms with people. Yeah. Like they can, well, it can only be better. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Make sure to. Because they're also, you know, they're humans too, right? So just Yeah, nice they're humans and, and they're doing a lot of work in their yeah. own right too. It's just different work. And then selfishly, it'll pay off in the end. I've seen True. it too. If you're nice <laughs> to these people, they'll help you out, right? Exactly. And it'll make your life easier. And, you know, in the end, that could mean also better outcomes for patients, right? So it's, yeah. a, good, it's, a, whole, it's a whole thing. Okay, so mistake, you've seen attendings that maybe make mistakes. On the other side, are there attendings you admire? And are there certain aspects or qualities of them that you aspire to be like? Yeah, definitely. Um, try to think of specifics. I mean, I think you can tell when a, an attending like truly cares about their mm-hmm. patients and spends the time to talk with them through everything and doesn't just blow things off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also people who, if they're like more specialized, they think that some things are beneath them. Like if someone walks into their clinic, that's not like their exact specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like they don't care as much mm-hmm. maybe about that patient when that patient's just coming in to like get yeah. help about their problem. Yeah. So. If it's something you don't know, I think it's totally fine to just tell the patient, like, hey, this isn't what I deal with every day. I'm not exactly sure. Here's who you should go mm-hmm. see. Um, but I think just, like, the people who, like, care for their patients, you can tell. Yeah. They're a little more invested in, like, talking to the families after and, like, making sure everything's set up pre-op and talking to the patients. That's great. And and now this is kind of a weird question, but do you have any book recommendations around medicine? Do you have, If you had Ooh. a book— that someone should read before going into medicine. A lot of people mention Atul Gawande's book, you know, uh, or When Breath Becomes Air is a, is a yeah. very common one people mention. I love that book. I thought it was just really interesting uh-huh. to read. What else do people mention? The House of God mm-hmm. is mentioned a lot, uh, kind of maybe on the other side of saying, you know, it's not so glamorous yeah. what we're doing. There are, there are things that aren't the glamour to it. Is there anything, and it doesn't have to be medical, right? It could be something 
Someone, what did mention, someone mention? Someone mentioned uh, atomic habits the other day. They thought developing their habits and getting uh, in the way that they should, especially as their lives become busier and busier and busier mm. and busier, establishing their habits now and their kind of how they live their life now was really helpful mm -hmm. when they just, their life got busier so they knew kind of what to do. Is there any yeah. books? What, it could be anything. It could be a fun book too. Um, I don't know that I've read any that I necessarily would be like, you have to read this yeah, before you yeah, start yeah. <laughs> a residency. Um, I know the Emperor of All Maladies is like a big medical the book Emperor that a lot of, of all maladies. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know, know that, that it necessarily one. like helps you in yeah. residency, but it's kind of the history of cancer treatment. Wow, and like how kind of aggressive and almost barbaric things were at uh -huh. the very beginning, where it was just like they talk about it, a lot about breast cancer, so like radical mastectomies, mm -hmm. where it was like a very like high morbidity surgeries they were doing for patients, mm -hmm. and then they moved to like lumpectomies and radiation and different mm -hmm. things. So it's it's an interesting journey on the like history of cancer treatments and where we started and where we've come to. I don't know. That the helps of all maladies. You. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Before, so that's interesting. Awesome. So I think we're coming near the end here. Mm -hmm. Do you have any closing words for people, students specifically, maybe a third year or a, an early fourth year mm -hmm. who's interested in urology? Anything you think they should think about? Or any just closing remarks in general for people that are thinking about urology as a specialty? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like in medical school, I think keep an open mind to yeah. everything you're going through. If you have a, an off afternoon, it's really easy to just like do nothing with mm -hmm. it. Um, but go shadow in different fields. There's a lot, of, you don't have time to see every field. So like, like I never saw ENT or IR or anything. Maybe I would have loved those. Um, anything you think you might be interested in, just go shadow, keep an open mind. Um, work hard and everything, even if you know it's a field you're absolutely not going to go into. You're probably only on that rotation for like, what, four weeks? Yeah. Like, just put in effort to learn everything you can from it because it might be the last time you ever, like, see that specialty. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, work hard, get in contact with people, do some research in something. Yeah. That's fantastic because it's because you may have never got into urology right i just i'm stuck with this initial story cause yeah because i because I, I sometimes think a lot of this you know life random and stuff like that but it seems kind of happenstance dr Ogisanya, i was talking to him he said he had an amazing experience with a cardiothoracic surgeon who helped him and guided him and said you know what you're gonna you could be a great surgeon in this mm -hmm. and it was like wait a second this is what i can do. you know what i mean this is what i can do so i almost think like what if maybe i just never had an experience with an ent doctor yeah. or an ir doctor it's, so it's i think that's a really good tip to kind to dip your toes in everything and find your people too I think is a good thing that people yeah. say a lot and I think that that makes sense to me as well because these are the people you're gonna you're gonna be around them probably a lot of the time more than your family or friends and yeah. stuff like that you're yeah. you're with your co-residents yeah. a lot in yeah. residency yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah find the people you Make get sure along you like with them. yeah yeah actually for my like story of how I got into yeah. it I actually applied for a weight rotations in urology before okay. I had a specific rotation wow <laughs> So sometimes you just have to like make it work with how your schedule is lined up. I think a lot of people have a lot of stress with like the order of their rotations. Oh, yeah. You can make it work. Oh yeah. <laughs> they kept on telling us that in third year. I mean, they kept on, I remember, they're like, don't worry, it's going to work out. People are like hardcore surgeons and they got it as their fourth rotation yeah. or their first rotation. They were freaking, but it it does. It all yeah. works out. You end. can, if you know, if you think you want to do something and your rotation's not until June of your third year, reach out to people earlier. Go yeah. shadow. You can get yeah. to know people without a formal rotation. Well, perfect, Haley. Thank you so much for coming. This was really, really helpful. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. And we're out. And we're Thank done. You. And we're closed. Dun, dun, dun.